The clock is just about to strike 5pm. It's the Richie Allen Show, Wednesday's edition. How are you? The 29th of March, 2023. Uh, Tony Gosling, the great Tony Gosling, and the equally great Ryan Christian are the guests on today's programme. Thanks for finding me. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Yeah, there's so much to get into with my guest today. You join in via the website as usual, live comment, you know how to do that right now. Wednesday's show, March is nearly done. Nearly done is March. March of many weathers and all of that. So live comment, do vent your spleen if that's the thing you want to do today. I'll be getting into with Tony and Ryan in Air 1 and in Air 2. Many issues, school shootings maybe, protests in France and in Israel maybe, central bank digital currencies maybe, and much more besides. It promises to be a busy and a packed old show. So it does. You're all right, you are. Yeah, I'm not too bad myself. Doing a bit of redecorating, a bit of rejigging, a bit of renovating in the studio. It's all messy in here. I don't like a messy workstation. I don't know about you. A little bit messy because on Friday, and it is happening on Friday, the cameras are coming in here so that this can be viewed on a video stream sometime very early next week, if that is your thing. So it's a little bit messy. A couple of things lying on the ground that shouldn't be there. <laughs> Soundproof tiles all over the bloody place. But anyway, I'll just have to bite my tongue and just get on with it. Improvise, adapt and overcome. Now, The Guardian. Let's start with this. This this isn't, I don't start with a story because I think it is the most important story of the day. We just start anywhere. This is interesting. It was in The Guardian yesterday and I didn't have much time to get into it yesterday evening. I ran out of time before I took the calls. By the way, what a very, very good phone-in programme that was yesterday. No, no thanks to me whatsoever. It's the callers. We had some amazing callers yesterday. Thanks to all of them. The Guardian has apologised for historic links to slavery. That's the newspaper now. And it has said, well, it's not a newspaper anymore. It's online now exclusively, The Guardian. Is it? Is it? Or is that just The Independent? No, I might be wrong. The Guardian might still be in print. Might be. Um, I hope it is. The Guardian has set up a £10 million reparation fund after investigating itself for the past three years. Now, the Scott Trust, which owns Guardian Media Group, plans to launch a decade-long programme of restorative justice to make up for the role the newspaper's founders played in the transatlantic slave trade. What will it include? Well, it'll include donating millions of pounds to communities harmed by the business interests of the Guardian's 19th century founders. The donations will be funded from the Scott Trust's £1.3 billion endowment. Mother of God. It comes after an investigation commissioned by the Trust found that the paper's founder and his financial backers, or most of them anyway, had links to slavery through the textiles industry. So the Guardian had help from Nottingham and Hull universities. 
and they were able to establish links to plantations on the sea islands off the east coast of the United States. They got invoice books, dear listener. All this was forensic stuff. They found invoice books from John Edward Taylor, the journalist and cotton trader who founded The Guardian in 1821. And he had some interests in businesses that imported raw cotton that was produced by slaves in the region. Yes, yeah, he didn't care where he got his cotton, you see. All he cared was that he had enough underpants and vests and that he could sell underpants and vests. He didn't give a damn about how they were manufactured and where they came from. This is kind of mad stuff, really, this, you know. This isn't to say that, you know, slavery was great, like, in any way, shape or form. Not at all. But this was a long time ago. And nobody at The Guardian... <laughs> I, at least I, I, I don't think so, in 2023 had anything to do with this. Very interesting. Who took this up today? Well, there were plenty of takers on mainstream media in the UK. Ah, well, James O'Brien on LBC. There's never been a greater virtue signaller than the bearded one. The bearded twerp, the BT. That's what they call him in the canteen, the BT. The bearded twerp. Here he is, and he's speaking to a person of colour called Josh. And they're in agreement that this is a good thing. I'm fascinated by the notion of guilt because I, I don't, I, I think you're right. I, I, that's certainly what the rhetoric tells us. But what, I'm, I'm not going to feel guilty. about. I think if I lived in a massive... Hang on a second. Has James O'Brien been kidnapped and has an imposter who has a striking resemblance to him been placed in the hot seated LBC? Did James say that he won't feel guilty? Not going to feel guilty. Yes, James. But I think if I lived in a massive stately home built upon the blood of enslaved black people, then yeah, 400 years later, I might still feel a bit guilty. If I'm sitting in a I wouldn't, I wouldn't. If I win the Euro Millions on Friday, dear listener, I'm going to buy the biggest stately home in the English countryside that I can buy. And I won't give a rat's arse about where the money came from to build it. Because it'll be mine. Mad stuff, this. But anyway, we're getting somewhere. In the House of Commons, and I've still got a plantation in Barbados, then I should feel a little bit guilty. But, but for the huge majority... Of, of people, that there's no culpability. There's no historical or ancestral culpability. Well done, James. This is good stuff from James. Finally, after years, this is good stuff. The great majority of us, we don't have any links to slavery. Our ancestors, certainly not mine anyway, weren't uh, owning plantations or importing stuff from from these sea islands in the knowledge that the stuff was being produced on the backs of the slaves. This is good. The great majority of people in the country don't give an arse. And they have no culpability. They bear no responsibility for anything that went on in the past whatsoever. Somebody has kidnapped this guy and replaced him with an imposter. Here. Yeah, so, so it's a very odd, absolutely. and that's why education would, would let in even more light. I wonder if we're looking again at just what, what epic wealth can do, how it can turn a narrative. When they pulled down the statue of Edward Colston, I couldn't believe the response. I couldn't believe anybody complained. I did. I couldn't believe anybody complained. He's back to himself. I'll tell you why I believed it, because it's always the case that the people who benefit from other people's suffering, in order to delude themselves that what they did was justified, be that ill, you know, treatment yeah, yeah, yeah. of non-humans, they, they absolve their consciences by justifying it to themselves. That's what I think goes on. And that's why people like Richard Drax and others 
are going to fight this tooth and nail, and they're going to drag as many different culture war ideas into this. And I, you know, and I think that that is where the real fight will be, because until you change the perception of what slavery was mm. and how it was justified, you're gonna. There is a potential, and I use that word potential, for that kind of idea and that kind of thinking to happen again. Yeah. Because if the children, you know, we're taught the Holocaust in school. I, t- I was taught it in school when yes. I grew up. Um, but we're never taught, not once in my entire time growing up in the UK, did I see anything about the slave trade, anything about colonialism, anything about the murder and the, and the, and the idea that, that black people were not human mm. and were chattel, and therefore it was justified. Ah, shut up, man. It matters not whether they talk to children about this in classrooms. Haven't we seen 1,500 films over the years? serial dramas about the plight of African Americans in the 17th, 18th and 19th centuries. We've seen hundreds of these things. Everybody knows that at one time in our past, in our fairly recent past, white slave traders and white landowners um, brutally abused African people who had been taken from the land of Africa, from the continent of Africa to, well, all over the bloody place. We know this stuff. What difference does it make now? Leave the children alone. Don't be telling children these horror stories. Just show them roots. Here you are, children. We were going to spend six months on slavery in Africa and elsewhere, but here's Roots, Alex Haley's book, which was made into a, into a mini-series. Watch that. It'll tell you everything you need to know. And then watch Django Unchained and Happy Days. What they did. And that is the argument. That's the real nub of this. This is about... Whether you think, and I know you might not think like this because mm. you're an enlightened man. And I you, hope you know, so, thank very, you. But, but what, what is, some people... What was that there? What did he say? And I know you might not think like this because mm. you're an enlightened man. And I you, hope you know, so, thank very, you. <laughs> he told O'Brien he's enlightened. And O'Brien said, I hope so, thank you. Let's leave that one there. It's dangerous stuff, that, that we should start paying out money to anybody to any group of people based on something that happened to their ancestors two, three hundred years ago. It's mad. It's just mad. It's ten and a half minutes past the hour. Tony Gosling, Ryan Christian, our guests. Uh, Ryan will be with us in about 15 minutes' time. Lots to talk about with him. Comment live at richieallen.co.uk. This is very interesting now. Um, Julia Hartley Brewer this morning on Talk TV had a statistician on to talk about COVID jab adverse effects, specifically, but not exclusively, but, but specifically AstraZeneca. Really interesting. She speaks with a guy called Jamie Jenkins, a former head of health analysis for the Office for National or the Office of National Statistics. Office for National Statistics, yes. Get it right, Richie. Listen, this is very interesting. You'll hear Julia Hartley Brewer first. There's no doubt at all. There is more and more concern growing and among doctors and medics and investigators that there are concerns about the various different COVID jabs that people were given. Concerns for pregnant women, uh, concerns uh, for uh, uh, many younger people and particularly concerns, we know, with the younger men uh, having heart problems. Well, new study has shown, and this, by the way, is Office for National Statistics figures. This isn't some... uh, someone, you know, a conspiracy theorist on the dark web, showing that the risk of dying from heart issues was three and a half times higher among young women in the first three months after a single dose of the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine. That's according to that new study. Well, let's talk about that with Jamie Jenkins. He's former head of health analysis at the Office for National Statistics. Good morning to you, Jamie. 
Good morning, Julia. Um, thank you so much for joining us. I'm, I'm not going to lie about this. You know, I've, I've, I'm happy to take a lot of grief from people when it comes to as things I've said about lockdown and COVID and, and, and jabs and the like. I get often told, like, oh, you're an apologist for the big farm and the jab companies. Um, I was very, very excited about those jabs coming, especially, especially for older people who were at risk from COVID. And, um, and I think a lot of the, the scare stories about the jabs earlier were not based on good data. There is more and more data coming out. My God. The scare stories about the jabs at the very beginning were based on the fact that the jabs had no safety data, no long-term safety data. It was a case of, let's take these jabs. We've never put this technology into human beings before and we have no long-term safety studies. Let's take these jabs. And a lot of people like you and like me said, um, you can fake off. No thanks. That's what the scare mongering, if you want to call it that, Julia Hartley Brewer, was really about. Take this stuff. We don't know what it's going to do to you. Uh, no, I'm okay. Thank you very much. That suggests there is certainly something to look at. Let's go that far. I don't think people can query that. Something to look at when it comes to some of the data on particularly younger people having these jabs and the risks it gives to them, particularly when it relates to heart disease, isn't there? But we've always heard about this being an issue for men, particularly younger men. This is the first time I've seen a study about younger women. How concerned are you by this data? Finally, a question for Jamie Jenkins, the statistician who worked for the Office for National Statistics. Very good. Yeah, so I think what I think you've started off by saying this is coming from the Office for National Statistics uh, and it's published on their website. There's some stuff in a journal as well. So it's kind of the first time we've seen a government agency, I suppose, so they're at arm's length to the government, but looking into this. And um, let me just explain what they've done then. So they've, at this stage, Julie, they've li literally focused on younger people, so age 12 to 29-year-olds. So they haven't looked at older age groups. There may be some work planned to do that. And, and what they've then looked at is they've done a study where they've looked at the rate of deaths kind of within 12 weeks of a vaccination and then compared compared that to kind of the longer-term incidents. And if, and if you get elevated deaths in that first 12 weeks, they can say it's more likely to be linked to the vaccination than if than, than not. So uh, if you look at all vaccinations, so that's the mRNA vaccinations and the, the non-MRI vaccines, and the, and the latter is generally what you would class as the AstraZeneca in the UK, yeah. what they did find is they couldn't see any significant increase in deaths in that first 12 weeks versus the longer term when they're doing it uh, for all vaccinations. But you're right, what they've done is they've looked at it by um, different genders, by different vaccination type, and what they found is that elevated kind of risk of death in the first 12 weeks compared to the long term for young women for the AstraZeneca vaccination. And what it means, Julie, when you're putting it kind of overall into it, is that the, the increased risk corresponds to about one additional cardiac um, registered death for every 16,500 females that were given that first dose of the AstraZeneca jab above the ages of 12 to 29. Wow. Now, I think that's only the tip of the iceberg, right? But I don't base that on any expertise at all. It's just my own intuition. One in 16,000. But the odds of a young woman dying of COVID must be one in 200,000 or one in 250,000 or one in a million. So why would you want to take a jab that presents a one in 16,000 chance you'll die? But that's just the AstraZeneca jab. Brewer wanted to take this a bit deeper, Julia Hartley Brewer. And there are lots and lots of stats being put together now which are suggesting that COVID has an impact on people's heart problems. We know it affects the vital organs, but also that the jabs may do so as well. And lots of international data. I know there's some interesting data coming from countries like Israel, which have kept an extraordinary uh, uh, set of data, looking at, you know, if you look at the rollout to each different um, uh, cohort of age groups, 
seeing the the rise in problems health problems in that in the period after the rise in the jabs as opposed to when people are likely to have been hit by covid when there's been a wave of covid there is beginning to be a really big build-up of evidence saying there is something to see here and there are going to be very big issues over this because to all intents and purposes these jabs in many countries were mandatory i mean you weren't held down and forced to have a jab but people were basically told you can't, you know, you can't travel unless you've got proof of a jab. Uh, you can't go to work in some places unless you've got proof of a jab. A lot of people felt they were forced to have jabs they didn't want to have. I certainly didn't want to have my booster, didn't feel I needed my booster at all. Wasn't really sure that I needed to have the first two jabs, given I'd already had COVID a year earlier and was, was healthy and, and, and in my early 50s. But a lot of people are going to feel very angry about this if they if there is evidence that these jabs were not, you know, the, the risk of illness from the jab and the risk of illness from COVID, you know, was was, was not being outweighed. Yeah, a lot of um, care workers were told that they would lose their jobs if they didn't have the jabs. And a lot of care workers went and took the jabs or a jab. Of course, many care workers left the sector, which has been disastrous, of course, hasn't it? Because of the shortage or the shortfall in carers. We know that. But um, some did because they believed it and then they were told they wouldn't need to have it at all. She's kind of getting there, Julia Hartley Brewer. Depending on who you believe, 1 in 4... 100 recipients of a COVID jab have had a serious adverse event. That doesn't mean death. Others say, and these are the so-called experts, you know, the, 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 the doctors who have gone rogue. And by gone rogue, I mean good doctors who have had the courage to say there's something wrong here. Some of them say one in 800, which is absolutely startling on its own but others say it's much worse than that it could be one in 400 people who had a covid jab have had a, a very serious adverse reaction is there more from this so on this one where these kind of this age group this 12 to 29 year olds what we did see as well julia is that remember the astrazeneca vaccination itself was withdrawn yeah. uh, for those aged under 40 on april the 7th so this it was withdrawn AstraZeneca, the jab, was developed in conjunction with Oxford University, wasn't it? Hence the Oxford-AstraZeneca jab. And didn't they deify Sarah Gilbert, the woman most responsible at Oxford for the development of this jab? Didn't Mattel uh, mock up a Barbie doll to make it look like like, like, like Sarah Gilbert? They gave her an honour. They, they, she was given... Queen, the, the, the Queen's birthday honours or New Year's honours, wasn't she given a damehood, this Sarah Gilbert? It's funny, it's crickets now, isn't it? It's crickets. Sarah Gilbert, where's Sarah Gilbert now? Where's Sarah Gilbert? Anybody, anybody seen Sarah Gilbert anywhere? Crickets. Tumbleweed. No sign of Sarah Gilbert. The AstraZeneca jab. Death. Death in a syringe. For a lot of people, it's 19 minutes past the hour. And before we say good evening to Ryan Christian from the thelastamericanvagabond.com, terrific website, great guy, let's just finish the rundown with this story. And it's to do with anti-aging. We like a bit of this. I'm not remotely interested in it. And I, I can swear to God on that if they say we've, we've cracked the stem cell research, we can reverse the aging process, I say no, I won't get involved with any of that. Because it's basically the same bastards who created the COVID jabs, right? But apparently they're much closer 
than anybody knows to having anti-aging treatment, basically ready to, to, to go. And a guy who's an expert in this, Dr. Stephen Cohen, spoke to GB News earlier on and startled the presenters when he said, this stuff is not science fiction, it's really only a matter of uh, several years before we will be reversing ageing in people. Listen to this. So let me make it simple. There's an experiment that was done where they took an old mouse and a young mouse and they joined their circulation together. And when they sacrificed the old mouse and the young mouse, they found that the old mouse's organs, the heart, the brain, the lungs, all became younger. And the old and the young mouse, all of their organs became older. And why? Because of these kinds of circulating factors that are produced by stem cells called exosomes. And so as we begin to learn how cells communicate with each other, we realize that our cells send out signals when we're not healthy, and they ask for help from cells that are healthy. And as we begin to capture these mechanisms and understand how they work, we will be able to treat the frailty of aging much more effectively, not just appearance-wise, which of course I love because that's my job, but I'm talking about health-wise as well. But doctor, how, how far away, I mean, what you're talking about, if true, absolutely amazing. We would all welcome that. But it does, in a, in a way, sound like science fiction. <laughs> How far away could it possibly be? Eamon Holmes with the question, Professor Stephen Cohen. Well, if you want to fly to Panama, it's about, I don't know, how, long, how far away is that, 10, 11 hours from yeah, London? Yeah, yeah. You can yeah. go have these treatments right now because we can actually use allogeneic, meaning somebody else's cord stem blood cells, and these will actually have remarkable effects on aging. And these have been measured with biomarkers. So this is these are now becoming legitimate concepts, not like far-fetched science fiction. I suspect in the next within the next five years we'll be doing this. Next five years they'll be doing this stem cells reversing the aging, taking your kidneys, your lungs, your heart, your spleen, and making them younger. Mad stuff. 22 and a half minutes past the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show. Lots of comments coming in. I will be taking some time to read them a little bit later on this hour. Uh, Ryan Christian standing by to talk with us. And Tony Gosling a little bit later on. This is your Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live from BBG Towers. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. What did he say? He said that they're doing it in Panama now. When I hear Panama, I think Dr. Nick Riviera. That's who it is they've got out there. If you're familiar with The Simpsons, you'll know of whom I speak. Tony later, as I said, Ryan Christian after the House Martins. And happy hour. Oh, happy hour. Music from the House Martins. Happy hour on the Richie Allen Show. 25 minutes past five this Wednesday. It's the 29th of March, 2023. 
Love the House Martins. Ryan Christian is a great uh, guy, fantastic broadcaster and writer. You'll find him at thelastamericanvagabond.com. I know you know all about him. Welcome back, Ryan. How are you? Good, Richie. How are you? Thanks for having me on. No, thanks for coming on. It's great. There's so much we can get into. Can I start with this um, th- th- This most recent shooting? We won't spend an awful lot of time on it, but um, our listeners will know, of course, that... Um, said for me uh god i've lost the bloody story oh yeah it's audrey hale momentarily i lost the name of the uh of the alleged shooter who um entered nashville covenant school a place that she had gone to school some years before and ended up killing six people including three children um what do you make of this and what do you make of the response to it which i suppose from your perspective is fairly typical ryan well, it's interesting you say that. I haven't done much coverage of this on the show yet, quite frankly, because the way I always look at these is, you know, it's a sad story. Always. People die, the sad children, especially, you know, there's no downplaying that. And, you know, there's always always the angle that people are asking whether this is all an entire hoax, which I, I will never say that's people should always ask these questions. But unless there's evidence to suggest that, I always find that to be a little bit divisive, right? I mean, yeah. you know, ask the questions, but, you know, let's find evidence. But let's, assuming that this is what it looks like, which it does appear to be to me, that ultimately that, that that's a sad story, right? So that, that, but then it should be put down, right? Why we make this a politicized week-long event where we talk about the family and the effects and all, it, that's just straight-up propaganda. There's no way around that. Like, that's an emotional, manipulative story. And, you know, we don't talk about Baltimore or Chicago every day. We don't talk about all the many lives that are taken out of the barrel of an American gun all around the world every te- every second people being starved to death around the countries around the world. So my point is why we focus on this and, and you know, or, or, and even inside the country, if, speaking from a U.S. perspective, why we ignore the gut media ignores other types of shootings because of different types of people. You know, my bottom line is that that's where I usually take this. That's why I haven't really gone deeper. But there's been a couple of things that have bubbled up for me recently that I think are interesting. The moment that I found out it was a trans person, I thought, OK, that is interesting insofar as that I guarantee that's going to be covered differently by both sides of the paradigm, which it is, which is interesting. Right. And so ultimately, I think that is why this suddenly is becoming such an interesting discussion point. But I already see the way it's being played on all sides. And it makes it kind of makes me sick, to be quite honest. Right. I mean, I do believe that there's a clear overlap and a problem with mental instability, however you want to frame that, with people in this community, because because it's been it's become a fad. It's you got children that are being convinced and cajoled into doing this because it's a cool thing and because they think that. And and in some cases, maybe you can argue that those people do believe that. And I always argue they have a right to do what they want with their own body. But you can guarantee that there are people that have gotten kind of manipulated into thinking this is what they are, and they wake up when they're thirty and they they're desperately unhappy, potentially suicidal. Right? That's a factor to this. So I think that the idea that we need to point out that conversation and ask whether that is having an effect on this community, driving them to violence and show overlaps with that very clearly happening. Some aspects of this where people are violently now calling for trans rights or else kind of conversations. You see this circulating, right? But my biggest concern, and if you'll let me kind of go on here for a second, my biggest concern is how this is being framed already by the right. Two things that kind of blew my mind this morning. One, I'm seeing very high level right pundits literally calling for their second amendment rights to be taken away. Not crazy people that shoot people, but the trans community, because I guess the argument is they're all mentally ill and that's kind of what you get from the right, right? Right. So the argument being that you're now arguing that the second amendment does have limitations. How in the hell 
is it that easy for people to, to turn on something that's like a foundational point? Now, I'm not going to argue that people that are violent shouldn't be, you know, like in the context of a shooting, right? That that person needs to be dealt with. That's a crime. That person should be dealt with. And the crime and the law is already there for that person. But the way you have right people all of a sudden taking it in that direction is very concerning to me, as well as the fact, my last point, is that it, it's getting broadened out to where now suddenly, again, from a right perspective, and the left is just as ridiculous in the other direction, that they're framing this as now trans is the all of them are the problem yeah. and all of them are the same and i just i can't get along along with that that's not objective right but i do see the bigger problem and that i think that gets lost in all of this left and right paradigm noise certainly does years ago you and i spoke about identity politics it's a virus now isn't it when, when you see conservative yes. commentators making statements such as those which are patently ridiculous you realize that they've succumbed like so many Others have too, identity politics. It's madness that it really is. When I, I, I do phone-ins regularly and I, I'm lucky enough that I get callers from the States and um, really lovely guy called Wes would, would ring in every now and then and he would talk about the importance of the Second Amendment, the importance of you know his right to have a, a weapon, not for anything other than to protect his property, 100%. And of course, I can totally understand and agree with that, even though I don't know very much about guns. An aspect that does interest me, though, Ryan, is the belief that the deep state or the government is coming for people's guns. Now, that might or might not be true. But here's a question for you. In light of how seriously well-armed the state is and how posse comitatus has gone out the window completely and you've got a paramilitary force now policing your country, it doesn't matter if private citizens have guns in your country or not because they're not good enough basically to defend themselves against the hyper-militarized state or am I simplifying that too much? I wouldn't, I mean, it's definitely a simplification. I'd even go as far as to say an oversimplification, yeah. but I understand why you're, why that perspective is there. Like, there's a lot of different things. And again, it's, yeah. I mean, it's always limited time on this show. So it's hard to unpack a big topic like this in a small thing. But the, for me, the first place to start is everyone's going to just have different opinions. Everyone's going to have different political stances. And, and of course you have a right to stand up and be like this amendment I disagree with, or this is how it should be. The point is, it's the, the Constitution and, and the Bill of Rights, the, 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 the amendments made to it are very clear in the constitutional rights that we have, not because the government gives them to you, but yeah. because it is inherent. It's God given. The point being that the Constitution, whether written or not, they were arguing that those things were there, whether or not they got together and wrote it down. Right. And so the argument being that that is where we are. So disagree with it all you want. Second Amendment and very clear, despite all the games it gets played. It's very clearly about a well-armed militia and defending yourself, of course, at a time when the weaponry was basically the same, right? So you can see why that would make sense. Now, all of that aside, it is still a constitutional right, and it is still there. So to act like it somehow is just, wow, that's old and we can ignore it, well, all they're really doing is showing you that they don't have any respect for any of these rights when they choose they no longer work for them. So we can argue this conversation and get into whether it should be changed and so on. My main point to make with always with the Constitution is Marbury versus Madison ruled in, I think, late 1800s. Anything that is repugnant to the Constitution is null and void. We've gone well past that, as you just made clear with the posse comitatus. I mean, they, they, we're living in an authoritarian state that doesn't care about these yeah. things. They pretend they do. Right. But the ruling made clear that if. I don't care whether a bunch of politicians get together and l vote for a law. That doesn't make it legal. Now, that may be confusing for certain people, but the idea being that they can pass a law, but if it's repugnant to the original Constitution, the Bill of Rights, it's null and void. People try to argue that, well, there's amendments. Well, yes, but if you look at the Bill of Rights, the amendments were not repugnant to the Constitution. Yeah. 
They, right. And that's the big point for me. So all that being said, the second part of it is you're right. The, the government, the military especially, I mean, it's it's impossible. And that, that's why I argue that violence is not the direction. Now, I still argue, yes, because it is our right that we should have the right to own a, a firearm. But on top of that, that I do want to protect myself because of the points you made. I don't believe the police is out. The police are out there protecting me, showing up a half hour after crimes get committed to write something down. Now, I shouldn't be that divisive. There's plenty of good police in my family. But the reality of the way that our society works is you rarely have a authoritative force sweep in and save the day in any circumstance. It's usually retroactive and they come around, they try to invest and sometimes it amounts to something. But in the moment when somebody is robbing you or fighting you or attacking you, you are the one that needs to protect yourself. And I argue that you have a right to choose to protect yourself with something that they have access to as well, especially if they're criminals. So there's so many ways to take it, but the bottom line is it's inherent and it's there and it's been there from the foundation of this country. And I don't think it's really about waging a revolution against the government at this point, because your point, it seems it's, it is literally impossible, but I guarantee you it plays a factor on the minds of people who think they can push back on a population that may be well-armed. That you have to argue that it does play a factor in their decision making process, so it does have an effect. So there's a lot I could go a lot longer, but I'll, I'll let you. That's jump brilliant. Um, really, really, you, you covered a lot there. Brilliantly passionate, dear listener. If you want more of that passion, thelastamericanvagabond.com. The broadcasts are there. Uh, if you if you are new to Ryan, and it's 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 not likely that you are. Listen, I agree with you, hundred percent. What when when we speak about civil disobedience, non-violent. Are you impressed that in London there seems to be a real pushback by people against these ultra low emission zones and low traffic neighbourhoods based on the nonsense that man-made CO2 is going to bring the planet to destruction? They are burning these obstructions that are being placed in these streets. They're doing all sorts of non-violent stuff, covering cameras up and stuff. Are you impressed with that, Ryan? Do we need to see a bit more of that? I absolutely love it. And the point is that, you know, there's a line where I'll just put it this way. Like I can get myself in trouble because people are always trying to get, you know, like legally speaking, argue that I'm somehow inciting violence. Right. That's a big that's I have to realize how real that is from the government. Right. So I always think about that when I talk about things and how it could be misrepresented. But what I was going to say is I will. There's a line where you have to realize that, like, let's say you went up and you actually, uh, you know, beat, hit the camera and broke the camera. Right. Or broke the device and so on. Now, they would argue that's against the law. Yeah. And technically, they say that, is, you know, you broke, you know, uh, government property and so on. But shouldn't we be able to take a further step back and say, well, wait a minute, like from American perspective, well, that's unconstitutional. You shouldn't have had a right to do that in the first place. So, you know, and you can go as far as you want. So I argue that you need to make that decision for yourself and realize that if you take certain action, whether right or wrong or whether justified or not, the government has force and they will use that against you. So all that being said. I, I still value and appreciate people that might even go that far, but at the same time, it's smart to say, let's put a bag over it. Like, let's take, let's put paint on it or something like that, but realize they're still going to charge you with a crime. So, you know, that's the point I'm making. But I think that's the way we need to be going about this. One, <clears throat> make sure you have your ducks in a row and make sure you can legally know what your argument's going to be when somehow, you know, when the, the cameras that are inevitably there facial recognition you and then you get swept in for something because you put a bag on something but realize that you have a, a, an argument to be made about why that is not legal in the first place. But I think we need more of the nonviolent passive, uh, you know, you know, the kind of what's the right terminology like, the, you know, I don't think sitting in the middle of a floor, let's say, is yeah. going to really achieve anything. You know, that that might as well be your free speech zone. Right. But I do believe that kind of the kind of sitting or rather like the trucker protest, if done the right way 
to not block average people or withhold average people from doing what they need to do, but doing everything you can to hold up the processes of the authority, right? Like I remember the, the trucker protest, for example, was originally about going to the parliament and going to the government buildings. And that did happen, but a lot of it ended up being blocking up streets. And then the average people were like, man, I got to go to work or I got this. And they support you, but they're like, I still need to do what I need to do. So it's like, we need to realize that we need to focus the kind of resistance like this against the obstruct their processes, not the average people. Right. But yeah, I, I wholeheartedly support that. The, the, the city, the 15 minute city discussion is terrifying. And I'm seeing real world examples right now already in the UK where people are being told they have to pay a fine or they won't be able to get through, but then they won't even let them through. So it's, it's just like all a big scam. And so you are being withheld in this little area in your own town. We're basically being, that's the technocratic panopticon. That's what, right they're, what they're doing. And, and staying with this issue, I don't know if you've come across this, but uh, Joe Maugham is a barrister here in the UK and he's known for heading up something called the Good Law Project. And he has gotten 140 barristers, right, to sign a declaration declaring that they will not prosecute um, climate change protesters. So young men and women from Extinction Rebellion and some of these groups, they won't participate in prosecuting them because the fact of the fact that the planet is in danger and these kids are doing the right thing. Now, some of our listeners won't know how it works here in the UK, but the Director of Public Prosecutions, we, we have what they call, I think, a cab stand kind of methodology of representation. So the ordinary man and woman, those of us that don't have hundreds of thousands of pounds to instruct um, barristers, when we end up in court, we get given the next available barrister. But that's also the case for the prosecution. So they call a barrister and they say, right, you're prosecuting Richie Allen now. And then they'll say to Ryan, Ryan, you're defending Richie Allen. That's how it goes, right? So you've got these barristers saying that we won't prosecute the climate change protesters. Now, before you jump in, I know you'll have plenty to say on that. I sent you a story from the BBC today. 2,000 women are taking the Swiss government to court claiming that the Swiss government's policy on climate change is violating their right to life and health. Now, that might open the door to lockdowns in the future for, you know, for the effects of climate change and stuff. So basically, with these two stories, you know, the lawyer saying we won't um, prosecute the, the climate change protesters, and now you have people saying that the government, I think Greta Thunberg is doing this in Sweden as well, prosecuting the government. Um, this is gathering pace, this, isn't it, this particular issue? Yeah, this is, this is really terrifying to me, and this is more, it goes far, far beyond lockdowns. Right. I mean, we have to take a step back from both stories and ask what, what's the what's the crux of the point here? We're getting to a point where the government is openly saying or rather, I mean, whether they believe it or not, some of them do. And they, I, we guarantee that the average individual is being taken by this. They're being they're arguing that we're we're about to die. We're literally being killed. We're all dying. And if we don't do anything immediately, we're all going to die. You are creating the kind of panic in people that drives to shootings that drives to irrational action and then going, we're not going to prosecute people when they do something. I mean, you're literally going, take action, hurt people because we know we're going to die. This, that, that's, I mean, my God, imagine if that was being done with any other policy. I mean, it, well, it is to a degree. We can see that happening with foreign policy. We're all going to be murdered by the foreign, you know, terrorists or whatever. Yeah. It's the same kind of thing, but this is, this is, I mean, this is the same kind of groups, the same groups that have been predicting incorrectly disaster for four years. And so we're at a point where these same people are going, the next one's coming up soon. And now we've got young kids 
Like I'm, I'm thinking of, I just talked about ideological subversion yesterday. And the idea we've got this generation coming out of the schooling system that is completely brainwashed to the idea that they're going to die soon if they can't stop the dumb older people from realizing we're in a problem. And so we're watching this kind of irrational action. And then, and then overlap that with the social engineering and the and the the engineered pharmaceutical mental problems on top of the trans community. I mean, my God, man, this is really terrifying to me because what? And then, and then you and one last thing, you can overlap that with the idea of words are violence, right? So the kind of thing where they're acting like what we're doing when we talk about them is violence. Oh, you misgender somebody? That's violence. But you know, actual violence to stop climate change—that's okay. Like, think about the inverse there. It's mind blowing. But to the to the article itself, you know, th this is you got the women who are now saying you're you're by not, by either doing the wrong thing or not doing what we think is right or not doing anything, you're killing us. So that's another extension of the words are violence argument. And this is coming from a point where you know that you the way you framed it. There are, I mean, I'm with this is this is a scam. The argument that this is what's happening in my belief is completely irrational and ridiculous. But whether I'm wrong or not, there's high level people with high credentials in all the right places that are telling us this is not true. Yeah. Hundreds. So this is still being debated, and yet we're being forced into this because of fear and ira irrational action. It's scary. Hundreds of people, yeah, hundreds of scientists have signed, again, declarations setting out their perspective on this that it isn't happening. And yeah, of course, they're, they're ignored. And. That's the thing that scares me more than anything is that it's very difficult to reach these mostly, but not exclusively, as you very well explained there. It's not exclusively younger people. It's it's older people as well trying to get get to them and say, look, there is another perspective. And we, we had this problem during the COVID nonsense, didn't we? We knew that there were hundreds, if not thousands of equally qualified doctors, more qualified than Fauci and then the idiots that we have in the UK, but they were banned. And I tried to impress upon my neighbours, Ryan, you know, please, I'm not, forget my opinion, my opinion is irrelevant. You've got these other academics, like, they're saying we shouldn't lock down, we shouldn't be taking a risk with the jobs. Why won't you listen to them? But they didn't. Yeah. They didn't listen to them, Ryan. This is where influencers come into play, right? Like, I feel like you get the, the, the high-level influencers of the two-party illusion and the different factions they're in, and so the, the talking points get handed down and they go, oh, well, that guy has been debunked. And the people who follow along because that's how they've all been trained with the, everything today, Twitter files, whatever else. It's just all here's a screenshot. Trust what we're telling you. It says, yeah. Here, you know, we're all just b blindly following. And so people get led into it and they follow the, the high level people. And, you know, we can we see how that and, and now we see it kind of dissipating to a degree. Well, Mia culpa's here and there and, you know, half are arguing, well, the science changed. No, it didn't. You just followed the wrong people, you know, and it, it's just very clear. So, but this this is like the same problem with an edge of like, I mean, irrational fear to the point where literally they're going to justify action, potentially assassinating people because they're the kind of people allowing us to be led into disaster for climate change. Like, mark my word, that's where this is going. And I'm terrified about that because they're going to argue we're the ones making that happen. Annie, just before I ask you another question related to that, you can find Ryan at thelastamericanvagabond.com. It isn't just Ryan, it's uh, brilliant writers and contributors on there as well. I could be naming them all day long. So that's thelastamericanvagabond.com. You are listening to the great Ryan Christian. Do we take any, do we take any joy or optimism from 
what we see in France when Emmanuel Macron decides that at the stroke of a pen, without any referendum, without any support of Parliament, he can say, right, we're moving the retirement age from 62 to 64, and the French say, like hell you can. Does that give us any optimism? Yeah, I mean, I, I really, again, the argument, the same thing I made about the line about what you think is appropriate, you know, especially when, when you know, the, how the government could put you in jail based on what they think is legal, even if they're acting illegally. You know, I support what's happening. I support the people that are pushing back. But I personally draw the line when it comes to the violent aspect of this, because I do think that gets used against us. But I, I've always maintained that I could be wrong in that. You know, maybe I'm just maybe I'm naive and maybe that's what's necessary to actually achieve change. I just don't believe that. I believe we need to strike a different path. I think violence begets violence. That's my personal opinion, and I think we've seen that throughout history. But I really hope I support what's going on and the fact that you have the I mean, it's seemingly the entirety. You've seen the if if you haven't listening, if you haven't taken the time to look at the size of what's happening in France, I I might be the biggest thing I've ever seen. I mean, these people are literally in the middle of people are debating whether it's revolt or revolution, which is different. Right. I mean, but it's it very well could be literal revolution at this point. But I would argue it goes well beyond the arbitrary and in, incredibly illegal, just random change of the uh, of the retirement age. Catherine Austin Fitz argues that that's happening simultaneously with a, you know, basically actions taken that reduce the lifespan. So while you're simultaneously losing years on the retirement age that you were promised, your average lifespan is also going down. So it's like she argues that's pretty intentional. But overall, many people are arguing that it's much bigger than that. And I agree. I think this stems back to what happened during COVID-19, the tyrannical overreach. I think people are just tired with their gigantic energy bills and the food infrastructure collapse. Like, I think people are very aware of what's happening and the media is hiding that from everybody's awareness. And this is this is what's starting to happen. It's not just France, as I think you've seen. Uh, I think it was Israel uh, as well. Melville pointed out. It's yeah. just all over the world. All over the world. And, and we mentioned Israel as well. Uh, yeah. Very smart lady, Catherine Austin Fitz. Um, yes. Highly recommended. Um, go to thelastamericanvagabond.com. Tucker Carlson, I love throwing things at you. You never ask me for a list of talking points. I really admire that um, when I get you on. I just throw stuff at you. Tucker Carlson has said that um, the CIA were behind Watergate and the overthrow of Richard Nixon. Not the first time that the CIA has been involved in the overthrowing of a president, says Tucker Carlson, and he referenced JFK. I've always loved that Watergate period of history. It's uh, something I read a lot about when I studied history at third level. Any sympathy for that? Do you think old Tricky Dicky was uh, thrown out by the CIA ultimately? Well, there's two ways to take it. Is that does that mean that Richard Nixon was not a dishonest politician? No, <laughs> I, I absolutely don't believe that. I can prove to you. But the point is that I do think that was how this went down. And it really comes down to like, I mean, look, there's even arguments you made about JFK and whether JFK was the the enshrined hero that a lot of people make him out to be. I personally do feel that that there, that he, that was why he was taken out, because there was changes that were being made in the interest of the American people. But you could argue that more naive, I guess. But either way, with Nixon, the point was that there was moves that were being done, made and I'm not going to try to you know I could guess all day about what different what you know different arguments are made about why but that I you can prove that what happened with like with a uh, um deep throat and, and uh, uh just suddenly blanking on um 
the, the journalist's name. You'll know them. I, just, I know them, too. I just can't remember off the top of my head. The famous journalist involved with the, with the whole story that, that basically you can prove that their source was right from the government. Right. It wasn't some insider, you know, like the way it was framed. And then you could find out that it was all designed this way. And the people that were that sick people on Watergate Hotel in general, I mean, like people should look this up. It's actually not hard to read about. So the question that becomes, was this done in the interest of the American people or the opposite? Was it done because the control structure was being threatened? And so the person that was in charge didn't really care that the yeah. intelligence apparatus or the larger powers in the world should be involved in the decision making process. And, you know, there's a lot to look at, but I do think that's the truth. Same with JFK. We, we have to see the real, you know, whatever you want to call it, shadow government concept that's been around as long as I can see the constitutive government plan and. You know, that's there. And I think they'll actively act on that. And I think I actually think part of COVID-19 was in that same vein. Again, Catherine Austin Fitz calls all of this a financial coup, the banking, everything. It's all leading us in the digital ID, CBDCs, the whole thing. And that's the control structure. That's the final move. The women, I don't mean in any way to be patronizing. The women are on the ball here. Melissa Shumay from the north of Ireland is bang on this as well, just like Catherine. The women, I don't know if it's a homestead thing. I don't know if it's a nature nurture thing, but the women know this. Even my own woman. Uh, I don't own a woman, by the way, just in case listeners are uh, put off by that language. But um, my better half is totally on this as well, right on this on this agenda. You've got to run in a moment for another interview, so I'm really pleased you, you, you squeezed this in. By the way, I'm not going to act like I know everything, because I don't. I had to look it up too. It was uh, Woodward and Bernstein. How could none Thank of us you. remember Thank that? <laughs> Jesus. Uh, well, I mean, I feel like it's one of those names those names that everybody knows yeah, i just haven't yeah, yeah. talked about it in so long but it's important people should take the time to look into those characters I don't, I don't even mean that in a derogatory way just those two people and understand that it's the story we're told is not the truth now you could take that any way you want but doesn't that matter whether you know whether it's uh you know a lie to save democracy or <laughs> the way they frame like trump's election like it's just so clear that we have a, a, an underlying force that doesn't care about what we are told this country represents and they will act whenever they want. It's always been there. We just have to see that. Very final quick question because we've, we've got 90 seconds. Um, a lot of my listeners whose politics are on the right or just to the right, they love the, the Ron DeSantis character. They love him because he's standing up to central bank digital currencies and he's taking a stand against mad gender teaching to children. Um, I don't trust a single politician alive and most of the dead ones. Uh, do, you want to give, do you want to give us a quick 60 seconds on Ron DeSantis? What do you make of him? Yeah, to make it quick, I mean, look, I, I would just simply argue, just question, guys, question everything. Don't fall into the savior complex, whether it's Trump or DeSantis or anybody. Like, you could believe, hope that they're going to do the right thing for you. But it doesn't matter whether they appear to be or not, or whether they do 14 right things in a row. The 15 thing, look at it, question it, break it down, ask whether they could be wrong. Overall, I don't believe he's on your side, guys. I think there's a million examples of that. You can argue he's fight, arguing he's fighting CBDCs. I, I could point out things that makes that not exactly the right the, the reality. But on top of it, every time we have situations like this, you have wedge issues that politicians use to act like they're on your side. It's not just about trans, you know, the, the you know, over-sexualization of children and CBDCs, right? There's a hell of a lot more going on. And we, we, we miss the forest for the trees when it comes to these kind of elections. I, I'm not saying don't believe in him. I hope, like anybody else, that somebody's going to step in that really does care about this country. But even if that person really does have all the answers, one person is not going to change this broken system. The savior complex is only going to keep us in the hamster wheel. So just question everything, guys. I really, I really hope we can see past the illusion that's always been there and 
strike out a new path. And do bookmark thelastamericanvagabond.com. Ryan, thanks, mate, for your time today. I really appreciate it. And I did catch that hint earlier on. So in a few weeks' time, I'll give you plenty of notice. And we'll arrange for you to come on and we'll have a good hour. We'll have a good hour. We'll have a good bash at a few subjects. We might get a bit deeper into the gun stuff to give you more time on that. So uh, thanks for your time today, buddy. Thank you, brother. Always a pleasure. And bye for now. The great Ryan Christian, thelastamericanvagabond.com is the website. Check it out. I know you have, but if you're new to it, uh, you will not go wrong. It is, what time is it now? Coming up for seven and a half minutes to the top of the area with the Richie Allen Show, live from BBG Towers here in Salford. Tony Gosling a bit later on. Your comments next. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at Richie allen.co.uk Lovely, I've got to turn down my cans. I get these warnings. When I go running, I, I use these headphones when I go running and they're, 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 I get warned. My device warns me. My phone warns me. Tells me your, 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 your sound, your volume is too loud. I'm kind of deaf, you see. I'm getting better when speaking with people at not speaking very loudly. It's been pointed out to me once or twice recently, just once or twice, and I have become cognizant of it. Richie, you're a bit loud there, and that's because there is a bit of deafness. When you've been in the radio game as long as I have, and I have been in the radio game a long time, dear listener, you do begin to lose your hearing a little bit. You don't, you know, just just a little bit. I'm not yet, quite yet, at the stage where I need to go and get myself to Bono Vox of O'Connell Street to get a hearing aid. Speaking of Dublin... Um, a woman who spent a lot of time in Dublin, my pal Jean Anne has mentioned to me, and it's a good point this, not to mention of what is happening in France on Irish media, needless to say, she says, and there has been very little coverage of it here in the UK either. There has been a bit, I can't say it is being ignored, but we, we could make the argument that those who run the media in this country, they don't want us to get any ideas Maybe, or maybe I'm wrong. Shall I take a quick tune before reading your comments? I think I should. Here are, I've never played the Sex Pistols on talk radio programmes. You know that, but I'm going to do it today because I feel it's just appropriate. So here is John Lydon and the Sex Pistols and Anarchy in the UK then on the Richie Allen Show, Wednesday's edition. Sex Pistols and Anarchy in the UK on Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. Yeah. Never on a talk show. I have played the Sex Pistols on other shows, but never on a talk show. That's a a milestone for me. Rob says it's really embarrassing seeing these so-called journalists squirming about these COVID, squirming about these COVID injections. The likes of Ian Collins even mocked this show. When? He mocked this programme, did he? The Richie Allen Show. Why? Uh, They cannot say they didn't know, so how they sleep or look their kids in the eye is something I'll never understand. He mentioned the Richie Allen Show a couple of times a year or so ago, but not in a negative way, Ian Collins. They don't tend to do that. Um, presenters, it just doesn't look good knocking another another radio programme. Why would you Why would you do that? Uh, David says, can't wait for Tony Gosling. I love it when he rings into talk radio and truth bombs them. Then they always seem to talk over him and shut him down. Thanks, David. Wayne has put a link on the live comment to some data 
or to a set of data, a, a set of statistics about the harm and death being caused by COVID jabs. Thank you, uh, Wayne. It's a link to the VAERS website, I think. Craig says Nixon's chief of security was Henry Kissinger. That's right. And if I recall correctly, Nixon was replaced by Gerald Ford, a member of the Trilateral Commission. Again, that's absolutely right. And don't forget who was hanging around the CIA at that particular time. It was only George H.W. Bush. George Bush Sr. The daddy, daddy Bush, yes. The man who who developed amnesia when he was asked about his 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 memories of the 22nd of November 1963. That's quite an amazing thing, really. Nobody who was old enough... You know, no no adult who witnessed, not witnessed, shall I start again? No adult who was alive as an adult on 22nd of November 1963, no adult has ever, apart from George H.W. Bush, has ever said, well, yes, I don't remember now. Wherever you went, Kennedy died. Everybody who was alive will say, well, I remember I was, I took my daughter to her horse riding lesson. I took my son to baseball. I came back. I stuck the wireless on, listening to the news, and then I heard it. Or I was doing something else. But Daddy Bush might have had something to do with the assassination of Kennedy. Might have. Some do believe. Uh, hi to uh, Kiki. Hi to Jenny, who says, I read a book a few years ago about Watergate by an American journalist whose name I cannot remember. He said that the break-in was to get files on top people who were paedophiles, which the Democrats had been using to blackmail. Uh, the Democrats had been blackmailing paedophiles to gain an advantage over the Republicans. Very good. Patrick says there is some fairly credible perspectives, notably from Jay Widener, that JFK never actually died in Dallas and his assassination was staged using squib theatrical accessories and the murder of Officer Tibbet, who was a dead ringer for JFK. That's Patrick. Uh, Nelly says people are making a stand via taking to the streets all over the world, but not couch potato UK people. We're more interested here in retail parks, EastEnders, football and boozing, says Nelly. Nelly, that's not fair. A lot of people did take to the streets in protest at the attack on civil liberties during the lockdowns, didn't they? Can't not mention those people. Hi to Oreo, who says that, that little rise of retirement from 62 to 64 in France is nothing. Actually, uh, it's an overblown issue to let off the steam, uh, claims Oreo. The global retirement age rise target now is going to be 75. And Baird says regarding the most recent shooting, the trans man or the trans boy, uh, this latest shooting is as such to show that these incidents are orchestrated to happen. From Alistair Crowley to B.F. Skinner to MK Ultra to the Jonestown Massacre, or the Mansons to the LGBT cult, says Baird. Yes. Have I read that right? I'm not saying I agree with that. I'm just saying, yes, I have read it right. Uh, Richard says, in my opinion, the youth will start attacking us older people and some of us will be killed. Funny, Richard, somebody whose name I won't mention, somebody I know, said as such to me, will they drive youngsters insane to the point, will they terrify them? to the point that youngsters will feel 
that it is justifiable to attack, maybe not just attack random older people, but to attack older people who refuse to believe climate change theory because it's nonsense. That is something a friend of mine said, Richie, not me, but, you know, people with louder voices than me, people with bigger platforms than me, who, who you know, who, who disagree with climate change theory, maybe some of those people might have to watch their backs in the future, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? Thank you for your comments. Andy says, Sky News has published an article about Elon Musk and other artificial intelligence experts calling for a pause to AI development because it poses a realistic threat to society and humanity. That's interesting. Thanks for that, Andy. You'll have to check that out. Is that right now? Again, you wouldn't trust Elon Musk as far as you could throw him, would you? And Mark says, if you're interested in reading a book about the history of slavery or the alleged true history of slavery, he recommends Thomas Sowell's Black Rednecks and White Liberals. And he's put a link to that. I've never heard of that book, but thank you for that. Luke says, why do Brits always have to comment on American law and on the Constitution? They drove us out in 1776 at the end of a bayonet because they were not interested. That's a good point. I Presumably you're not talking about me. I'm not a Brit and I don't make any comment on the American Constitution and I wouldn't deprive Americans of the right to own a gun. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take that right away from them. I'm very interested in th the fact that it seems to be lost on those who fight for the right to own a gun and and I totally understand them campaigning to retain the right to own a gun but it's they seem oblivious to the fact that their guns won't do them any good in the end you know I mean if you want to if you want to have a gun locked up somewhere near your bed in the event that some idiot tries to get into your house in the middle of the night yes 100% that's good right but uh, if you want to own a rifle or even a semi-automatic weapon and your purpose for owning it is because you're scared of your government, you're wasting your time, in my opinion. And that's not pessimism, that's realism, in my opinion. The time now is six minutes past the hour. This is your Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live, as always, from BBG Towers here in... in... In Salford, why did I have to think about that? Because I'm trying to do three things at the same time. Yes, I'm dragging a tune in. I'm dragging a tune into the playout system. I'm checking if Tony is there. You see, there's no producer here to do all of this. Do you want the job, do you? Do you? Do you, do you come cheap, do you? Um, keep those comments coming in. Live comment, richieallen.co.uk. And uh, as I said, I will read more out later on. Blue Oyster Cult, then Tony Gosling. Don't fear the reaper. Be the reaper. Become the reaper. In a very non-violent, civil disobedience way. Yes, the Blue Oyster Colton Don't Fear the Reaper on Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. The time is nine minutes past the hour. Let's welcome back to the programme a terrific broadcaster, author, writer, um, all-round good guy, thisweek.org.uk, the man behind... The Not the BCFM Politics Show in Bristol. It's uh, none other than Tony Gosling. Tony Gosling, welcome back to the show. How are you? Hi, Richie. 
Great to have you back. Hey, listen, we've got plenty of time now this hour. You mentioned video. I'm a radio guy, and after being harangued, harassed, and cajoled by my listeners for years, cameras are going into the studio on Friday, and we'll be streaming video. I know, it's terrible. And we'll be streaming video uh, from next week, but I'll just carry on doing the show exactly as it is. People can listen via the same you know, places. It'll still be radio. But if they want to look at a stream of it, they can. I'm not entirely thrilled about it. You don't sound thrilled about it either. No, I'm not. I mean, that's because I, I mean, I don't know what there is to be gained from seeing you and I's ugly mug and our jaws <laughs> chomping up and down. You know, look, look, I mean, I also having had experience in mainstream media by media newsrooms, there was a, a very much a sort of elitist thing from the TV people. Oh, yeah, yeah, telly, man, telly. And this is where it's really at. You radio people are nowhere. Actually, uh, to me, I'm interested in hearing people's voices whilst I'm, you know, maybe pottering around in the house, doing other things, driving, whatever. Me too. I don't really care about what their faces look like. In fact, it doesn't tell me a lot, except I suppose if you're scrutinising some you know, mega important politician or whatever, then you, you actually quite like to get a bit of body language off them. But other than that, I think TV, you know, we can just junk it, basically. I think radio is a far better technology. I agree. And I do this reluctantly. I, th- th- what, what, I sleep at night because those, <laughs> those who listen to it as we're presenting it now, you and I, will continue to do it. Paul, Paul Ripley, my engineer, is one of the greatest guys on planet Earth. He sold it to me by saying, look, you, you do want to keep reaching people, particularly younger people, and they're more inclined to watch or to get their content in this way through Rumble and stuff like that. And if there's any truth in that, there's no harm in it. But I'm not going to be looking at the cameras. I'm not going to be engaging with them. I'm just going to continue to do this. And I think most people will still listen through the app, through the phone, through the website, through the little player. And uh, as I listen to you on Fridays, and I do exactly that on Fridays, I respond to emails that, 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 that have arisen from the previous week's shows. I look at booking guests and I've got Tony on in the background speaking to Martin or whoever. That's radio. And I think I absorb more by doing that. Yeah, I mean, the big advantage of the uh, picture is that you can show evidence there. I mean, I think some of these uh, apps, which I really don't personally understand at all, um, I'm sure your techie people are much better at it, uh, which can where you can present evidence and say, for example, do a screen grab or, or uh, you know, uh, where you show the screen on the video. Uh, this, this is extremely useful uh, when you can talk through. And also, of course, if you've got specific interviews to play in with world leaders or whatever, then it's quite helpful to see that it really is them speaking. And, uh, you know, that in, in, in which case it's quite handy. But I just think, you know, our attention uh, is, is grabbed too much by that screen, by that flickering screen, and it kind of mesmerises. And, and so I much prefer the whole medium of radio. It's not just because I'm ugly. No, well, you're not ugly. You're a good-looking bloke for a guy in his 60s, um, which still staggers me, really, when I see photographs of you, even recent ones. Now, um, there's lots to get into. You can take this any way you want. Listeners are delighted you're on. It's been longer than normal. We normally have you back sooner uh, than this. The French listeners, I actually have some listeners in France, as you do. Um, They're saying, look, Richie, what's really going on here is, and Owen has just sent a message through our website. He says, Richie, Macron wants to bring in Article 49, giving him the power to make laws without them being debated in the Senate, effectively making him a king and negating over 200 years of the Republic. For you, Tony, 
Macron trying to do this, is this further evidence that these thugs don't care anymore that we see who they really are? Well, it, it, I mean, OK, so it's similar things going on in Israel. So you've got uh, effectively you've got so-called democratically elected leaders, although Macron, you know, he's basically a merchant banker plant. He didn't have a party behind him when he ran for president, just lots and lots of money. And uh, so he managed to get in because, the, the, you know, the nation was divided over Marine Le Pen uh, and the socialists. Uh, so I, I just think you've you've got people who are grabbing power because they're criminals effectively these people are you know what for example has happened in france with the whole covid business and just effectively just shutting down the yellow vest movement which was one of the most well mobilized you know grassroots uh, protest movements out on the street saying look you know the new world order can take a running jump the uh, brussels control of france can take a run you know there was all this going on i mean my brilliant stuff they were doing like tearing down the pot the, the um uh the toll booths with um you know diggers on the motorways and things like that they were very well organized and very focused on their manifesto which is if your listeners uh and soon to be viewers haven't seen it is well worth i mean it's just a brilliant it's the french put this stuff together we kind of don't do the organizing and if we try to or often we're infiltrated and undermined like that but but i think yeah, I mean, they are criminals, effectively, and that's why they're acting like they are. They've got, and in fact, of course, there's a similar thing coming down the line in this country and, and many other countries. Uh, they can sometimes manage to hang on to it. In France, he's pushed it too far. I think he's deliberately done that. Uh, it's a provocation to see, uh, you know, let's just see how they react and let's fight it day by day. They've obviously got uh, a presidential and an international banking fraternity behind them uh which is uh, is fighting the french people and you know what amazes me is that these people have got the chutzpah to take on not only the russian superpower uh but also their own populations at the same time i mean it just seems obvious that they're on a hiding to nothing with this do you think so because why 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 why, why will it not come to pass that this movement in France is infiltrated just as movements here have been infiltrated in the past. And there are people listening to this now who'd say, Tony, that Yellow Vest um, movement was definitely genuine and organic and it grew up out of, you know, a genuine frustration. But it was very quickly taken over again by the usual suspects who steer it in directions that are ultimately unfavourable for the people. Surely that'll happen this time in France too. Well, look, I don't know. I don't agree with that about the yellow vest because it was so much more of a, a grassroots. I mean, there were there were tens of thousands of people across the country involved in it. I mean, the the, the French have got a. Uh, are they quite proud about the fact that they do engage politically? They're very politicised, and when you know there's a government which is messing them around, a lot of them will be prepared, are prepared to go out on the streets, take direct action, and civil disobedience, whatever. And um, it is, imp really, I think, impossible to completely infiltrate a group like that. Yes, they were steered. Of course, what you get is loads of agent provocateurs. It's no accident that that's a French expression yeah. that come in and try to steer things into the long grass. But, you know, what happens when you get despotic leaders? I mean, effectively, look, let's just take a step back from all this. You've got finance capitalism. 
uh, BlackRock, Vanguard, these um, massive, massive organisations. I was just having a closer look today, and it's actually BlackRock is the public version, Vanguard is the private version, and nobody knows. Well, some people, obviously a handful of people, know exactly who it is that owns Vanguard. Uh, but these uh, these organisations, this finance capitalist cult, uh, is has infiltrated and taken over almost all of our political parties and our political system, as well as the fourth estate, the mass media. They are very powerful within there. Obviously, they have to show uh, a kind of uh, fake exterior of balance, and you know we're covering everything, man. Uh, but the, but on the really key issues, like actually allowing people to understand who's really running their countries, they don't talk about that at all. We just get the pantomime. So in in France with uh, with Macron, I I just I just see uh, this is the, we're getting to it seems to me to getting towards an end game where they're just pushing and pushing, thinking well whatever they whatever the populations do, however well organised they are, and and I I really like I said have a look at the Yellow Vest Manifesto, absolutely really well thought out, and and almost anybody can pick that up and go into the streets with it, you know, almost anywhere in the world, and say you know this is this is the sort of stuff we're demanding from you. And nobody, as far as I can see in the UK, has done it. I mean, the Stop the War movement is beyond a joke here. It's just saying to the Russians they've got to get out of uh, Ukraine as their first demand. I mean, that isn't going to stop any war. And also, why are they having a go at the Russians? Their, their job in Stop the War is to lobby here in the UK for, for British policy, you know, to change British policy, That's for right. supporting, you know, sending DU weapons to Iraq, that sort of thing. But no, the Stop the War movement... I mean, they're, they're, all these groups, I, I think, over here seem to uh, just you know, sweep them aside, pick up a yellow vest manifesto and get on with it. Do you have sympathy with people in this country who, who have found that, that a local hotel in the village has been taken over for, for the provision of services for, for migrants? And they find that they can't use the facilities in the hotel and these were important. They ask questions about it. They immediately get lumped in with, you know, thugs and Nazis. This happens all over the country and it's happening increasingly um, more often. Look, look, I put my cards on the table. I've said this to you a thousand times over the years. The migrants are not to blame here. They're not for, for so many different reasons. And, and I had this lovely conversation last night with a listener called Isabel, who's half Lebanese, and she came on to argue for the migrants and, and made a powerful case about, about you know, who they are and, and where they're coming from and what have you. So that was very good. But on the other side of that, you have people in this country who see that um, getting access to, to, to a GP, getting access to a dentist, schools, um, the pressures are enormous and all of a sudden we've got a couple of hundred young men and often it's, it's not always young men but often it is and uh, they speak about it or ask questions about it and they're terrorised on social media and, and, and elsewhere threatened with cancellation with losing their jobs because they're racist this is a huge issue this and it's getting bigger it and bigger uh, look I mean almost all of the major stories nowadays come down to globalism and, you know, that's this whole attempt, rather pathetic, I think, people like Gary Lineker to try to uh, conflate uh, the very real problems there are with mass immigration, uh, with racism. You know, I find it, you know, particularly pathetic. And, and, and these people seem to sort of get away with it. I don't know how. There's no real, you know, very little anyway, proper criticism of that. The real problem is, although, you know, I, I mean, I work here with squatters here in Bristol. And one of the things we do with, you know, we're trying to house people. Every few weeks we get another 
you know, case of somebody who's been evicted. Well, what on earth is going on when when people who are coming across being trafficked across the channel by organised crime uh, to come here and, you know, make some money and then take it back home? Most of the people, you know, certainly I, my belief is that most of them are economic migrants. They're not refugees. They may claim refugee status. And of course, that chugs, chucks up the system. Uh, but but you know why aren't we providing housing for our own citizens? That I mean we have been paying most people here even through you know every time they buy something in a shop, pretty much they're paying tax on it. The tax is going in uh, to what provide hotels for migrants. What and and yet you've got uh, pe- people here who are just homeless and on the streets and having to go into squats and sleeping in doorways, particularly the veterans. You know, so it, it's a complete and utter double standards that I think most people are frustrated about. And this is a globalist plan. You know, this is punishment for Brexit. The uh, These uh, trips started after Brexit. And, um, you know, it seems to me pretty obvious that organised crime, which runs the EU. And by the way, I'd like to just say a little bit about the true scandal in Brussels. I mean, they there was I only found out recently that there were plans to build an underground city with kids that could be abused in this underground city underneath Brussels. So, I, I know very little about this because we've got to spend some time on this now. This is big. You you mentioned this in, in a text to me today, I think. And again, I don't know how you do it, to be honest, because I, I, I don't know very much about this, but you're on the ball with it. This is a massive story. Tony Gosling is our guest, thisweek.org.uk. He's an author and broadcaster. F- five o'clock Fridays, not the BCFM politics show. It's one of the best radio uh, programmes in the world at the moment. It really is. It's unmissable, so don't miss it. Five o'clock on Fridays. The, 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 do you know, it sounds, this even this, despite the things you and I have discussed over the years, the 7th of July bombings and all the problems and all of that, to, to, to even countenance that there was plans to build a city where children could be, where they could migrate children to be abused. Take this from the top, will you? This is huge. Well, it's it's actually a story from a few years ago uh, in the Daily Express, which I hadn't seen, which yeah. is a fascinating interview with Dutroux's lawyer. For people that don't know, uh, back around the turn of the century, there was a massive protest movement, end of the 1990s, a massive protest movement, the biggest there's ever been in Belgium, when this uh, uh, this guy, Dutroux, was discovered to have been involved in kidnapping young children in a, into a van and then trafficking or bringing them into an underground jail basically and and locking them up um feeding them down there Uh, and then they were there then available to be sexually abused uh and i mean it was one of the most horrific paedophile scandals ever with the world has ever seen uh but you know the daily express having a chat with the um uh, with his lawyer, uh, uncovered the fact that so just he what a lot of things that Dutroux was saying to him in confidence uh, as part of the case. He's saying, well, it's not just me, you know, there's a whole network behind me and this kind of thing. And actually, what they were planning to do was to set up a systematic pipeline of kids trafficked from not just from uh, uh, from Brussels, but from other parts of uh, that parts other parts of the world, and or maybe other just other parts of Belgium, uh, so that they could be abused. Now, look, I mean. Brussels is, um, in Belgium is a bizarre place. I remember hitchhiking through there and, and, and we were hitchhiking by the side of the motorway and suddenly someone just appeared in the bushes, flashing, you know, to the car drivers and to us, you know. It's just like, well, this is a bit weird, yeah. 
But, I mean, it is the headquarters of NATO Brussels. It's also the headquarters of the EU. So you've got to ask questions about, you know, what are these institutions and what, you know, and, and, and the bribery and the blackmail that's involved in politics nowadays. It almost seems as if they were trying to build a city where this could become systemic, Richie. That's the thing that I wasn't aware of. I remember the case. It was the mid-90s when this guy was caught, wasn't it? Um, mid to late 90s when he was first... Uh, picked up he murdered several children didn't he maybe maybe a lot more than that if i've got it right but but this whole thing about because it makes perfect sense and, and and where it is of course you know globally geographically where it is brussels yeah where are they planning on creating um you've been on this for years haven't you and this has gone very quiet in recent years you know organized pedophile rings um i wanted to ask you last time this came up briefly about carl beach and what what your thoughts are on Carl Beach. Is Carl Beach just a serial lawyer? Or have they destroyed his character and reputation and created the idea in the in, 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 in the public consciousness that he's a lawyer and a fantasist because um because it it is going on, what 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 he talked about. What do you reckon to Carl Beach? Well it's difficult to know about Carl, but it certainly looks to me as if that whole th- I mean he uh, he did his best I think to tell what he knew but it looks to me as if the authorities realised that maybe that either he had an, an iffy lawyer or that he himself wasn't all that articulate. And by attacking him and jailing him, this sends out a very, very clear message. And there's actually a lot of lawyers and police who were very concerned about the way that Beach was treated. So he's come forward with uh, with evidence. The police have then uh, used that to, to you know taken it further. And then he has been jailed, you know. So what yeah. message does that send to people? So, I, I mean, I think this is just really a very vicious and, and evil counter move by the abusers, Richie. That's my take on it. Yeah, you might be right. James O'Brien, the LBC broadcaster, much maligned on this programme. We take the mickey out of him a lot. Um, he took Beach pretty seriously. I'm not saying that proves anything. I, I, I think, think O'Brien's a bit of an idiot at the best of times. But um, there wasn't anything in it for O'Brien to take him seriously. And he spent quite a bit of time with him. And I think he was convinced that, you know, that Beach was was telling the truth. I've had people on this programme over the years who are convinced that children were taken aboard the Morning Cloud, the yacht owned by Edward Heath, and that some of those children were never seen again, Tony. Well, yes, Uh but at the end of the day, this is very difficult. Without a, a functioning proper justice system, it's very difficult to know, yeah. you know, where all this goes. All I can say is that the BBC, um, the much maligned BBC, uh, did a brilliant documentary, an hour-long film. I think it may have been even been a second part to it. Olenka Frankel was the reporter in 2002 on De And I was particularly annoyed to find YouTube emailing me saying, oh, uh, this fashion magazine in America has got the copyright to this film you put up, uh, Mr. Gosling. And uh, unless you remove it within a week, uh, you're going to get a strike on your YouTube channel, blah, blah. So I had to take it down. Of course, I hate to do that. And I just said to them, well, obviously, this this magazine doesn't own the copyright. Uh, The BBC own the copyright. Uh, And of course, they just ignore that. Uh, So there is no real appeal process. This is on my Peter Brennius channel. And um, so what I've been doing (laughs) quite a few days, the last few days is just getting the MP4 of that um, 2002 video about to true and just getting it out there to as many places as possible. This, that What they're trying to do is they're isolating down 
to maybe only one or two sources, very important um, bits of information like this, uh, and then trying to completely kill it off. The idea is that, oh, what can he do? Well, I mean, every time I see this kind of censorship going on, I just try and replicate it and multiply it and get it out there as much as possible. Because although it's an incredibly disturbing documentary, what 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 Alenka did is she did had a fantastic series of interviews with one of the young girls that was involved in it all. And I knew it, knew it, the whole thing from the inside out. She was in the process of recovery. She was very articulate, very brave. And, uh, you know, she was a survivor. And uh, and that is the, the those are the people we need to hear from. The BBC did that back in those days. And, you know, so this documentary, I would thoroughly recommend people go and search it out. It's from the Correspondence series in 2002 and the reporters, Alenka Frankel. An absolutely mind-blowing bit, bit of documentary making about the centre of the United States of Europe and the centre of NATO, right underneath those headquarters. Right underneath, it's incredible, really. And I, I'd just forgotten most of this stuff, you know. And I didn't really know about the city and that, but that's fascinating. Faisal says, the true is a story that isn't talked about enough. It's the real EU Pizzagate. God, we remember Pizzagate and those claims in um, in the US. But I, I don't know if you want to... If, if, I'm looking at the clock. There's, there's so much still we want to get through before, before 10 to 7. But... Um, Comparable. Yeah, I mean, well, what, what what were your thoughts on Pizzagate? Oh, look, I mean, it was a cover up. It was a very well organized cover up of something that really was most definitely happening. Uh, but, you know, I think a lot of this stuff is becoming it's almost like it's uh, the it proverbial is hitting the fan. The years and years and years of crookery. What seems to be going on is the uh, these I mean, really diseased criminals, evil people are slowly but surely painting themselves into a corner and uh, particularly looking at the banking crisis that's been going on, I, I hope it's all right if I say something about that with these various banks going down. Yeah, this is big. I mean, yeah, we've got to talk about this. This is this is credit default swaps are the only things keeping these going. But ba- that's basically insurance on bonds when a bank just announces to its bondholders, sorry, those bonds are not are not going never going to be paid. And although that you lent us all that money, you're not going to get it back. So then these credit default swaps are used as insurance. Now they are becoming almost impossible for new to, for people to new, to take out new ones, you know, because there's a real nervousness that that, that these bonds are going to go down. Uh, and so these are the sort of merchant banks we're talking about. Well, you, we used to call them back in the 1970s, anyway, 80s, 90, uh, 70s, merchant banks, which is, you know, your, your Rothschilds, your Goldman Sachs, these kinds of people nowadays. Um, and it, it seems to me what's going on is I wouldn't worry too much about banks collapsing now because Rishi Sunak from Goldman Sachs is in the driving seat. They're unlikely to crash it on his watch. I would say we're looking at a sort of pre-Blair type situation right now where i mean this is just really is just guesswork but it's my kind of uh, you know political copper's instinct if you want is that they they know that starmer's coming in soon next year uh, maybe even the end of this year we're not quite sure but uh, and when he does he is the most easy person he'll basically read any script that's put in front of him to manipulate uh, the Labour Party are very, very disciplined now. They've got rid of all the real Labour MPs, the ones that support Palestine, or most of them anyway, and Jeremy Corbyn. And uh, we've got this sort of robotic Team B that will come in, and they'll crash the economy on them. 
you know, uh, and then they'll come back. You know, the A team will come back. Right, I was, I'm actually quoting John Stockwell, the former CIA colonel, who was uh, we had on our show last Friday. Although he's uh, he's either very elderly or passed away now. He he was talking about the US system as the A team. Of course, we can see loads of uh, examples in Britain, everywhere you look, where it's uh, it, the US system is being implemented. Here in Bristol, we've got a US style mayor who's like basically Al Capone. He can do what he wants, and uh, you know that that's the sort of thing that they're trying to implement here in Britain now. So I don't th- I think that's uh, we can wait a while before the banks r- crash really does happen. But they'll make sure, like they did on Gordon Brown, that they fa- that they crash it on a Labour government and. Uh, 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 and that th- th- they take the rap for it all. And that Labour government will advance the green agenda, the the climate change agenda too, right? Massively. And of course, if Labour were in charge during COVID, we would have had horrific, strict, like uh, New Zealand-style measures here. You know, these kinds of... I mean, oh, ridiculous uh, and utterly absurd. But, you know, this is where, where we're at now. It's like uh, intelligent people are being silenced and muzzled and shut up by a bunch of morons. That's that's the attitude there seems to be uh, with, with um, you know, this, the sort of agenda that we saw during COVID. And it was almost like a trial run uh, for the lunatics have taken over the asylum, Richie. So you think this this crash will will happen on Labour's watch, partly because of Sunak's connections to Goldman Sachs, and when this crash eventually happens, this will precede the hard rollout of the digital pound, right? Is that is that yeah. what we expect? Yeah, the central bank digital currencies. Yeah. They've quite clearly got a program to enslave us all using money. I mean, I can remember being over in uh, gosh, was it Hong Kong or Singapore? Gosh, can't remember now. I thought it was uh, Hong Kong chatting with some foreign correspondents from the big US newspapers out there. And uh, this is a few years ago. And they're saying, well, what they do in Singapore is as soon as there's any political opposition, then they just, uh, you know, they see how much they have a look, see how much money they've got and take it off them, you know, through the courts or, or by whatever means. And of course, that's going on over here now. It's the power of money. What happens is the uh, you know the the classes that might be about to resist or are resisting, they're looked at closely, and their source of finance, a source of income, is destroyed by whatever means, whether it's switching off a bank account, uh, whether it's uh, prosecuting somebody so that they lose all their savings in a court case. Uh, they will find uh, money as the weapon, and that's why. I mean, I remember chatting with David Southwell years ago, the author of. Uh, Secrets and Lies, which is well worth a look, and also The History of Organised Crime, two books of his which are superb. And he's saying, well, look, this is the way gangsters operate. They love to have poor people and poverty. They just want It's like the third world, Richie. They just want as much poverty as possible so people are forced into organised crime. Tony Gosling is our guest this week at Org.uk, the, not the BCFM politics show every Friday at five o'clock. Um, Charles is in Germany. Meeting his cousins, he said. Meeting his cousins and addressing the... It's not the Bundestag there, is it? It is, is it? Um, addressing the, the parliament there. What do we read into that? Does it mean anything? Symbolically, well, does it mean anything? Look, he's going home, isn't he? <laughs> well, there is that. <laughs> there is that. Well, says I mean, says know, the man it, who... What you say about Charles? I mean, really, the most bizarre... I mean, I've interviewed um, the US writer Tim Cohen about Charles. He's the author of a book, The Antichrist and a Cup of Tea, which <laughs> looks at the just symbolic connections between uh, the coat of arms of uh, the, the Prince of Wales and, and King Charles 
and the biblical descriptions of the Antichrist. It's quite an interesting study. I mean, I'm not saying anything, you know, I, th I just think we need to be aware that there might be some connections between, you know, organised evil and the British royal family. Quite clearly that Edward VIII was a Nazi. Uh, and uh, and as you said to me when we when the Queen died, Richie, you're absolutely right. You know there was a plot uh, to kill. Uh, was it? Oh gosh, is it uh, George the Fifth? George the Fifth, uh, yeah. To yeah. get him out of the way, uh, and he was killed by Edward, almost certainly, uh, because he was languishing. Edward and, and he was looking at, at skipping Edward and going straight to, the, you know, George the George the Sixth. Uh, he was he was almost certainly murdered, you know, by his own son because his son wanted to take over. Now maybe there's echoes with the Queen and, and Prince Charles with that. Who knows? But there's certainly a rather nasty Nazi strand within the British royal family. When you know you've got Edward VIII over in Lisbon. By the way, Bilderberg's in Lisbon this year, which I'm hoping to go to in May. Uh, but 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 uh, Edward VIII was over in Lisbon, uh, telling the German ambassador there, look, just start, please start bombing London. And with a bit of bombing, that they'll that will that will bring them to the negotiating table, and that was the beginning right. of the blitz. The so these people, are, you know, we have to be a little bit, you know, careful with them, especially when. And what's going on in Germany is unbelievable, isn't it? Really, what with Nord Stream. So the Americans have blown up a German Russian project. Allegedly, according fuel. according to the Russians, they have, but there isn't any proof no, of it's that. It's not just the Russians, Richie. No. Look, well, the I Danes. Mean, the I think. World, I think the, the Danes. The whole world knows who did it, and and Cy Hirsch has absolutely opened this up. Uh, it's the Americans that did it, and they did it because they are now selling. I mean, it's part of the destruction, the uh, industrial smashing of Europe, the whole of Europe, and you know the idea that the Germans. Uh, will accept the Americans coming in and destroying this project. Are you, you, are you seriously saying you don't think Cy Hirsch is right and someone else blew up the Nord Stream 2? Not at all. I was just doing my, my BBC thing <laughs> here. <laughs> hey, listen, before you talk more about Nord Stream, um, of course the Americans did it, before you talk more about Nord Stream, do, did you tell me a moment ago that somebody has written a book in which it is claimed or alleged that Charles might be the Antichrist? Well, yeah, this is Tim Cohen. Yeah, uh, and yeah, I've interviewed him several times. I, he he seems to follow what uh, the British royal family do closer than most Brits ever do, and he picks out all the interesting things that that Charles gets up to, like for example, having a massive statue of himself built in Brazil, where uh, there's a picture of Charles with these massive angels' wings. Uh, You're uh, kidding painting. me! Is, no, that, is that real? Sorry. Well, you just look it up. It's, it's on. It's a BBC did a whole article about it. Uh, the, wow. the saviour of the world. It's got written at the bottom. All ah, right, this is to do with his environmental interests and stuff, right? I get you. Well, right. is he? Yeah, but I mean, look at what he's he's just signed signed off this amazing new law. What's it called? The genetic technology. Well done, Tony. The big brain on Tony Gosling. The big brain on Tony Gosling. I knew you'd have seen this. That's genetic right. This this, this guy eating bill. Yeah, he, he, he for, for many years he campaigned against genetically modifying uh, crops and food, and now the guy's all for it. He signed, well, he, he's basically given his seal of approval to the government's bill uh, to gene editing, yeah. Well, this is crazy tech, isn't it? Yeah. Really? I mean, this is, and also it's Bilderberg, by the way. I mean, uh, I actually managed to amazingly meet Emmanuel Charpentier, a French woman who uh, is. Uh, the patent holder of a lot of this CRISPR technology, which is exactly what this is, a gene splicing business. And uh, so they're saying, oh, it's just a kind of another form of selective breeding. No, 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 no. You, what you're doing is you are thinking of yourself as gods. 
Yeah, you're creating new creatures. You're saying, well, this part of this creature is no good. We're going to just snip it out and get rid of it. And we're going to take a bit from another creature and put it in there. So, you know, the idea that uh, this is even necessary on planet Earth is, uh, well, it's disgusting. I mean, I find this whole idea of trying to play around with genes rather than look at humanity and uh, sort out the problems of the poor uh, it seems almost the opposite's going on. So we, we're trying to create more and more and more. These people are anyway, more and more poor people and m- massive divisions in society uh, with the rollout of privatization of land, of everything, really, everything that people need to live. Uh, and on the other hand, we're being told, well, uh, you know, we're, what we're doing is we're trying to create this wonderful e- egalitarian planet. It's just I mean, what they're, all they're doing is they're trying to enslave us. And they're also they are so arrogant that they uh, themselves believe that they can do anything they want. I mean, this is all fits in with this, of course, with this transhumanism and the yeah. uh, transhumanist agenda, actually an occult agenda. Uh, which is uh, Human 2.0. This is uh, Yuval Noah Harari and Nick Land, my old school friend. The stuff they're into, the dark enlightenment and um, accelerationism. And and just just to finish on accelerationism, because this is where I think it all comes together. You're looking at all these different crises, a financial crisis, a COVID crisis. uh, Well, I mean, you know, Ukraine, we've got a war crisis. Uh, we've got a migrant crisis, and yet all the solutions to these various crises are all making things worse. So why might that be? Well, isn't that it's an interesting pattern that's developing, and that's where you get into accelerationism. The idea is really looking at Naomi Klein's shock doctrine, create the biggest MF of a crisis you possibly can, uh, uh, what you might call a cluster crisis, politely and uh, and then you can change the world in almost whichever way you want so they are going for the i think for the big time here uh, a system of slavery and almost a kind of new religion with them as the gods tell me this about this book about charles which i'm going to order after the program <laughs> no i am i really am um did the gentleman who wrote it did the author did did he make any comment on allegations made by citizens of Cam loops in British Columbia. You know the allegations I'm referring to, right? No, I don't. No, no, I don't. It is alleged that in the 1950s, a a party which included the the Duke of Edinburgh, the Queen, and other dignitaries took some children from a not an orphanage but a boarding school. Kids who, yeah, I think they might have been kids without families. Took them out for the afternoon, and some of the children never returned. They were hunted for sport and stuff. Now, I, I've interviewed people about this over the years, and you'll be proud of me. I, I gave them a proper chasing. You know, I said, come on, for for Jesus' sake, you know. Um, But no, there was one chap in particular called Kevin something or other, and he sent me a lot of documentation. And there are still survivors or descendants of those uh, children or relatives who are who, who still demand answers. Now, some of the more sensational people have made all manner of allegations about the late Queen and the late Duke of Edinburgh. I don't know about that, but, you know, that they were involved. But that's a story that um, keeps coming up over the years. You know, Kamloops, I think, British Columbia, and children were taken out as kind of a benevolent thing to do. And quite a few children never came back, Tony, apparently. Well, look, uh, I just don't know enough about that. Me neither. Um, Only what I heard. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, I can tell you that he killed his wife. I mean, obviously he didn't do it himself, but uh, Diana was most definitely assassinated, and she was proving very inconvenient. 
I mean, you know, th- this this guy is not the sort of guy you want to have in charge, really. I don't know if you know, but <clears throat> but um, Justin Walker has put out, a, I think, a very important, you know, little letter he sent to the people involved in the coronation in May, saying, well, look, how is this? This guy is obviously trying to be both the sovereign of Britain and also the king of the world. I mean, in an, uh, that's paraphrasing him. You know, he's saying he want, he's he's pushing all this World Economic Forum agenda, which is a hostile takeover of the United Nations, as well as trying to say he's working in Britain's own interests. Now, uh, it's quite 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 obviously not both both can't be true. And but what he's trying to do, obviously, Charlie, is fudge it. Yeah. Uh, so it's important that there's some sort of clarity, I think, about the coronation. Is who who is this guy actually working for, or is he just some sort of charlatan who's infiltrating, you know, the 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 idea of British sovereignty? Are uh, you know, particularly after Brexit, in order to just, I mean, it was interesting, wasn't it? The the I don't know if you saw the Telegraph at the weekend was saying that uh, Charles's uh, mission into um, uh, France, which didn't, didn't take place, there was an a, 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 it was an opportunity being taken there to try and uh, sort out some of the problems that Brexit had been brought. Well, this isn't Charles's job. No, yeah? it isn't. No, and, it's and nothing that... to do with him. The other thing with Northern Ireland, as I'm sure you know, is th- is this whole you know stitch up of the protocol to make it so that it's just going to be. Uh, no longer part, you know, Northern Ireland is becoming much more part of the EU than it is of the UK. And this isn't actually, you know, I think people just deserve to have a a vote on that um, rather than, you know, some kind of stitch up. This again, King Charles has uh, been very much involved in those. In fact, it's called the Windsor Framework, the the new arrangement. Now, his mum would never have been doing any of this, Richie. She would take take a step back and let the politicians get... She quite rightly saw... Um, the the sovereign's role, the head of state's role, as someone who basically would go out and just go to coffee shops and play, um, go to open charity events and things like that, and let the government get on with it, and only intervene if there was some sort of crisis to try and sort things out. Uh, you know, as say, for example, uh, you know, a war or whatever. You know, she might have a role in that. But uh, the idea that that, that that he's, I mean, he really does, he's interfering. Is in a book about him, I think it was a film called The Meddling Prince. A lot of the critical documentaries about King Charles also have disappeared when he was prince off the internet, particularly with his involvement with the, the uh, diner assassination. In fact, he tried to get a brilliant film completely banned from Channel 4, uh, which showed that the photographers weren't responsible for uh, the speeding Mercedes. And it was probably... Uh, some high-powered motorbikes, possibly driven by SAS or other special forces that forced the car to accelerate into the Alma Tunnel. So there's lots and lots of basic stuff that Charles is, you know, he, t- he, he you get it across on many, many boxes with him. I don't, hang uh, on a second, hang on. particularly interfering I, in politics. I don't... You um, should not be doing that I don't. I don't share Tony's appraisal of the late Queen. I, I never have done, but I'm not going to get into that now. But look, this is not tradition. There's something I've argued this not with you, but with um with um listeners over the years. The MP or the member of the Scottish Parliament or the Welsh Assembly, they must swear by Almighty God to be faithful and bear true allegiance to His Majesty King Charles, his heirs and successors according to law, so help me God. Um it's not tradition it's not ceremonial they're not just cuddly heads of state a throwback to bygone days 
these people really are running the show. Yeah, I think they are. Uh, yeah. Or at least I think I don't know about the Queen. I really, do, I mean, I honestly think she spent most of her reign, uh, you know, going and patting horses and things like that. She had a lot of wealth which was being managed for her. But I think as an individual, she did see herself as a sort of grandma of the nation, you know, like the Queen Mum or something. I don't think she was getting too involved in politics. Uh, although having spoken to someone who was very close to her, he said she's extremely sharp, and I'm sure she was. Um, so, uh, yeah, but Charles is extremely, he's totally, it's like chalk and cheese. Uh, you know, he is much more interventionist. He's duplicitous. He's trying to pretend he's pro-organic, and yet he's, you know, that he's doing the opposite with the genetics, as we've just heard. So very, very, very different character. And, you know, the idea that Camilla is, you know, God, I mean, you know, she's what Diana was was beautiful. She really was as an individual. She was the sort of person that we needed uh, in order to reset the royal family. And of course, that's why she had to go. We're just about out of time. I want to give a, a quick mention to the programme again. It's uh, not the BCFM Politics Show every Friday. Tony and a cast of thousands. Terrific radio. It really is good. Thisweek.org.uk. Go to Bilderberg.org. We'll get a quick word on Bilderberg in 90 seconds from me before we wrap it today because we're rapidly running out of time. Tony's written some books. I cannot recommend them highly enough. Well, um, I just want to say a few positive things because Andrew Bridges done such an amazing job. What a guy. And uh, he's been on again and, and these various uh, Tory MPs, there is no opposition. Um, these are the opposition to Bilderberg and to the globalists. Uh, you know, we were talking a bit about homelessness. I'm absolutely, as, as many Irish people are aware, I'm sure you are too, of the role of the Irish Land League in the build up to the toppling of the British Empire in Ireland and, you know, very, very close to home. Uh, in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, land issues are still incredibly important. Uh, we all need a piece of land. Article 25 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights guarantees everybody land. That means you don't have to pay for it. You just get it. And any country that says that its own people cannot be... Because basically what's going on is everybody who is working uh, with mortgages, etc., even with rents, is afraid of being about to lose their home. Uh, we've just got to take that away. If we make Ill uh, eviction illegal, uh, then then this would just help a lot of people and their families to do what they want to do rather than be coerced into a job they hate. And we're doing something about this Mayday Bank holiday, uh, a little group I'm involved with called The Land Is Ours. We're d doing a, a squat down in Dartmoor where they're trying to stop wild camping down there. Uh, so near two bridges, I think it's basically going to be uh, near somewhere near a... Um, uh, sort of uh, hitchhike ride from two bridges or else there is a bus actually uh, so we're going to do a kind of weekend camp down there to talk in, about land rights in the UK how everyone needs somewhere to live and how to, to make it happen and uh, get away of the power of money because if we get these basic essentials for free things like water etc uh, then we don't we're not coerced into some awful job that we hate and working for some boss uh, that's just using us to fulfill their own twisted dreams that's brilliantly said. Imagine the cheek of them to think they have the right to tell you you can't camp in the wild, you can't camp by a stream, you can't. Camp. <laughs> I mean, where do they get their balls, these thugs, to tell people that? Well, he's, he's the guy's from a private equity firm, Richie, and he's an incomer, and the locals are, 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 you know, the locals are very supportive of all the different institutions that do do wild camping there, including the army. 
Listen, I want to give a quick mention, and we are out of time then. Um, support Tony Gosling and the radio show. Uh, pick up a copy of The Siege of Heaven or The Traders of Arnhem. You'll find them online. Terrific books. Bilderberg.org. Thisweek.org.uk. No doubt we'll be chatting in April. Thanks again for your time today, pal. Brilliant conversation. Well, well thank you, Richie, and uh, God bless to all your listeners. Thank you, Tony. The great Tony Gosling, live from Bristol, Friday, 5 o'clock. Be there. It really is a sensational radio show. Uh, Tony in a cast of thousands, thisweek.org.uk, not the BCFM politics show. You can't keep them down. It's coming up for seven minutes to the top of the hour. Uh, Wednesday's Richie Allen show. Thank you for your messages. Miss Gold came on. Thank you. Kevin, I, I had in my mind, it's Kevin Annette is an ex-church minister, and he wrote the books about the Canadian Aboriginal school abuse. That's right. Kamloops comes to my mind a lot. Was that the name of the school, or was that the name of the town in British Columbia? And look, I've got to put it on the record. Some of these claims might be wild and unfounded, and some of this stuff might never have happened. You've got to be honest about that as a, as a journalist. But a lot of people... People with no reason to make these claims have said over the years that a royal party took a group of children and other adults into uh, the woods on a picnic and some of those children never came back. And some of the claims made about what might have happened to those children are unspeakable, really. You know, Tony's very fond of the former Queen. Obviously, I have no time for her or any of her kin whatsoever. I find them evil, unimaginably, disgusting to look at, to be honest. I never saw a photograph of the deceased queen where she didn't look sick, to be honest. And um, just chilling, really. No time for them. Were they capable of doing these things? Well, yeah, I, I would imagine they were capable of doing these things. That um, was pretty much it for Wednesday's Richie Allen Show. Thank you for listening. Thanks to Tony of course, and to Ryan Christian who came on in our one. Great to have Ryan on, thelastamericanvagabond.com. Back with you tomorrow, Thursday, the usual time, five o'clock UK time. Among the guests, uh, the great Maria Heller back on the show tomorrow. It's been a long time since Maria's been on. I'm looking forward to catching up with her. So much to get into with her there. This programme will quite soon, in fact very soon, be on podomatic.com. It will then automatically upload to whoever, wherever you get your podcast. So whether it's Spotify or iTunes or Podbean, it will be on there. Do share the programme with others. Let them know of its existence. You never know. You might change. Uh, you might change somebody's life <laughs> for the worse. But uh, do that. Right, that's it for me. Closing out the programme today with the Smashing Pumpkins. You enjoy the rest of your Wednesday. Look after yourselves and one another. Until tomorrow at five, it's bye from me. Bye now. Bye.